I'm understudy. Might say I'm over the top. But there's like no clean water, but soda pop is overstock. They say amazing grace. Hey, everybody. <laughs> It's me, Tanya, from Tanya's Take. And guess what? I'm in a freaking sound booth. So if you listen to uh, last week's episode where I spoke with my sister, Gina, and we processed whether I should continue with Tanya's Take, I told her that one of the things I wanted to do, if I did continue, uh, was work with a sound engineer in a sound booth and make it really official. And so I'm going to introduce Henrique to you. <laughs> Henrique, I listen to so many podcasts, and on podcasts, they're always like talking to their engineer. <laughs> so, Henrique, you've now been brought into the podcast. Hello. All right. Um, and that laughter you hear is a dear friend of mine. Carla, Carla Beard Leroy. And you mm -hmm. want to know something really funny? Mm -hmm. As long as we've known each other, I've never said your name fully out loud. And I was like thinking about it earlier today. And I'm like, wait a minute. Is that how she pronounces her name? <laughs> Is it? Um, it? It goes back and forth. Yeah. Right? Like the kids say Leroy for their last name. Okay. At school, I am the Ra because Ooh. people can't get the R, right? Yeah. And, you know, in so wait, polite French society, it is le roi. Okay, so here's the other thing. And we're going to get into a whole bunch of stuff with Carla today. But Carla's husband's first language is French. Mm -hmm. And Carla kind of learned French. and Or did you know it already? Just a little bit. A little bit? Like a little bit. I mean, and I got super basic. It is not... It's impressive, though, because super basic. since um, her kids were kids, well, they're still kids, <laughs> since her kids were babies, you um, spoke in French to them. Well, yeah. I mean, but, like, sit down. Come here. <laughs> Get that out of your mouth. What are you doing? Did you hear me? It's, you what know are what? you thinking? So here's the thing. So Carla and I have known each other for approximately 107 years, <laughs> and uh, we knew each other probably peripherally through the theater scene. We are both right. actresses. And then, um, and I'm going to check with my engineer. So, Henrique, this is falling way low, but I'm still okay, yeah? <laughs> the microphone is like, woo, going south. Um, I love getting to ask the engineer questions. You have no idea. Hold, please. <laughs> then there was this group of black actresses who all had babies at the same time. Yes. There was apparently yes. something in the water. And... Uh, <laughs> It is time to give a shout out to the original Mocha Mom. Um, Annie Joseph, who else? We love them also. Emerald, Christina. Yes, Christina Jackson. Uh, yes, and um, Malkia Stampley. Yeah. So what happened was Deanna Griffins, who I love and adore. Uh, uh, it's not Griffins, it's Griffin. I do know these people. <laughs> Deanna <laughs> Griffin. Irons, Irons. <laughs> uh, who uh, is uh, works at the Second City and uh, does diversity and inclusion for Second City and is an amazing, phenomenal woman who is a community gatherer. Her her thing in life, I feel, one of her biggest strengths is bringing people together. Yes, yes. And she had come up with this idea of getting all of these mom actresses who were having babies. Oh, Rebecca. Yeah. Rebecca! Oh my gosh, Rebecca. Rebecca, yes. shout out to Becky Speaks. Yes, Becky Speaks. Uh, yes. Um, so, uh, Deanna got us all together to her house, and all of our babies were under one year old. And I, if I'm not 
mistaken, you had literally, like, you came from the hospital, practically. <laughs> like, your baby was little. He was very small. Mm-hmm. He was very small. He was, I think when I met you guys, he was maybe three months old, maybe yes. three or four months old, because he was, like, just becoming a person. Yes, and, not and his a, name, by the way? Dominique. Dominique. And uh, Audra, my oldest, was crawling, um, but little, little. Mm-hmm. And so that began what we called Mocha Moms. Now, we stole the name because Mocha Moms is actually a national organization <laughs> that gathers um, black women within communities and has social events and interactions. And we had all considered maybe joining that, but I don't know. We either just weren't up for it. It didn't quite seem like our cup of tea. So we just stole the name and decided, (laughs) please don't sue, Um, decided we were going to kind of make our own group. At one point, we were Mama Chocolata. Do you remember that? (laughs) I remember Black Moms Group. Yes, very specifically (laughs) of different ages. Um, So then uh, Mocha Moms began, and we, for years and years and years, regularly met up at each other's homes and all the kids would be together. And for me, quite honestly, it's one of the best experiences I ever had in terms of parenting Mm -hmm. and just as far as being a black woman. A lot of people who listen to the podcast know that I grew up in a very white area. Mm -hmm. Um, It took me a long time to sort of uh, feel like I was really part of and had rights within the black community. I hear that. Um, and to be able to be with these black women who accepted me, loved me, were going through the same things that I was, is one of the greatest gifts. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And we really kept it up. Now, I'm speaking in the past tense just because the older the kids get, the busier things have gotten. Yeah, it's, it's become hard. more challenging. Right. I started uh, the group chat because I was like, I just want us all to be able to whenever. <laughs> oh, and Harriet. Harriet. Of course, Harriet. Yes. Um, yes. But the group chat, just like so we could at some, you know, in some ways be um, in communication. And, you know, if it's something as trivial as like, you know, the side eye you gave to somebody at a Starbucks, you could hop on the group chat and be like, you would not believe what just happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all of that. So mm-hmm. we are in touch, and we actually are in process of trying to get together again. <laughs> but I think, honestly, at this point, the ki- the age the kids are, it's really for the moms, and the moms <laughs> just need to get together. And what I love about whatever I've created with this here podcast is the fact that when people listen and interact with me, um, it really... Uh, excites me and thrills me and you know I would you know pretty much drop anything to continue in that engagement and so I'm going to have Miss Carla read (laughs) what she sent me on the Insta on the Instagrams um, which brought me back on mic because you know as you know with the last episode I was like in process I'm like I think I just want to have amazing conversations with amazing black women I know and that that is a radical act and that's the direction I want to move in with the podcast okay yeah and I'm going to take it one episode at a time but as soon as she sent me this I was like well there's an episode so um would you please read sure what you wrote hey girl <laughs> When are we going to have our on-air discussion? I want to process the conversation about colorism and my light-skinned kids and and being the black kid and going from being the black kid to being the mixed kid. When my boy goes to high school, this is what will happen. What do you think? And I said, sounds good to me. Let's do it. So anyways, uh, Carla sent the message. I said, let's do it. And here we are. So I want to tackle... 
the um, conversation that you uh, brought up. Mm-hmm. But I want to build a little backstory, um, a little background with you first. And the funny thing is, is as long as we've known each other, the main thing we have shared is this um, common thread of being mothers and the kids growing older and all of that. Right. Um, what I realize sometimes, though, is you do get to know certain people at certain times in your life, and, and a lot of the um, the gaps or blanks aren't filled in because they don't need to be at that point, yes. right? Yeah, I So it's you. like, I know Carla, but I actually don't know, like, a ton about your background. Okay. Like, I don't know um, where you grew up. I grew up in the south suburbs. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where? Yeah. It's called Phoenix. It's a really, it's a village. It's not a town. It is a village, and it is between Harvey and South Holland. Between Harvey and South Holland and Chicago. Okay. And so tell me, so one of the things you bring up in in, um, the post that you sent me or the message that you sent me is this idea of colorism. And Mm -hmm. so can you share with me your experience growing up with colorism? And would you please, in your own words, describe how you present in the world, you know, physically? How would you describe yourself? Besides stunning and gorgeous. Oh, why, thank you. (laughs) I present as dark-skinned black. Dark-skinned black woman. And? And petite. And petite and very small. In fact, that's in her email signature (laughs) is petite. It is. I am very small. But, and I have always been Mm dark-skinned and very small. But in my family, on my father's side, they are not dark-skinned people okay so like are they small people (laughs) (laughs) some of them are small some of them are small people but not not dark-skinned people okay my grandfather was the first dark-skinned person interesting and um so i've always been aware always been aware and there weren't there were conversations about passing Yes, that happened a lot because yes. there was passing in yes. on my Oh, so we're talking light skinned. Yes, we're talking light skinned. Light skinned it did. Light skinned it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So on my father's <laughs> side, that existed, and mm. so it was a part. So there was always this awareness, yeah. of what light skin could get you, even if we weren't openly discussing light skin. Yes, it was always in the air because we knew. That there was somebody in the family that we still communicated with who was moving through the world without explicitly saying, wow. I am a white person, but not correcting you. Wow. So that it was always something, you know, and like my dad is dark skinned and my mom is light skinned and so like the whole light skinned, good hair mm-hmm. thing. So it was very... It was very much a part of my life, but it wasn't, I wouldn't say it was something that was in the house. Okay. But I was aware, because I was observant of the power that existed in light-skinned and quote-unquote good hair. I was aware of that. Yeah, and also, just to be clear then, so do you feel like there were actual conversations amongst adults talking about so-and-so not even necessarily using the word passing, but or it was just something you observed because you knew that family member who was sort of not correcting people, et cetera. Oh, well, yeah, I knew that person. And you knew mm-hmm. them. And were, did adults talk about that? Or is it just some... No, adults talked Adults about talked it. about it. <laughs> yeah. Adults talked about it. Well, and that's just one of those things like, you know, we think our kids aren't listening, right? Oh, yeah. And adults felt some Or that it's like above their head. And adults felt some <laughs> kind of way. I also love what you said in terms of... How did you put it? Um... 
I have always been dark skinned. And and um, I want to uh, put a pin in that in the mm-hmm. sense that, you know, my experience growing up, because I grew up in an all white area, I was dark skinned. Yes. Right. Like, right. I don't know. I was the only black person. So in my mind, I was dark skinned. Then in my young adulthood and stuff, I quickly learned that I'm light skinned mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that I have advantages because of that. Yeah. But I didn't know that in the context I was in. And so that's kind of um, the flip side of that idea of like in my in a way, I, I wasn't always light skinned in the I sense that in my formative years, I, I don't know if I was dark. I mean, I was because my sister who passed away had more olive skin. Mm-hmm. Right. So in my mind, I thought she was light skinned mm-hmm. compared mm-hmm. to me. Right. And so and my mother was light skinned. And so I certainly didn't look at it or think of it that way. And I gained no advantages at that point because I was in an all white environment. Right. 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 But then whatever advantages, even as actors, commercially, yeah. I might have experienced or whatever. I had to come to terms with that fact and have that sort of aha moment of like, oh, I'm a light-skinned black woman. And I'm not that light, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I certainly am in terms of that range. And when we talk about privilege yeah. and privilege coming from your proximity to whiteness. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, Absolutely. that was really interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and so for you, and I talked a little bit about us both being actresses, in terms of in your world as an actor mm-hmm. existing and presenting as a dark-skinned woman. What has your experience been? Um, it was... It was clear to me from the beginning that there were doors that would not open okay. to me. Yeah. And so that always filled me with this rage. Yeah. Because I knew for a fact, because I'm here in Chicago and I have eyes and I see, you know, what the theater scene is. And even now today, years later, I still don't see that much difference. But I knew going in that I had to change somebody's mind. Mm. I had to work twice as hard to change somebody's mind if I even wanted in the show. If I didn't want to be just like black girl number yeah. four on the left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I would have to work twice as hard because there were things that just weren't going to come to me. And so when LaShawn... And let me just jump in and say, Carla is an extremely talented singer. Like, she is a, 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 a stunning performer, extremely talented singer. It's her professional world. And, you know, you sing... I just saw that picture where you were singing on New Year's Eve. Like... <laughs> Front and bands, like she's the shit, right? And <laughs> and she's having this experience. Yeah. So, and you were gonna say about Lashans? Well, when she came on the scene, I was like, oh, thank yeah, you, Jesus, because there's there's something for me, you know what I mean? Or there's there's somebody who's breaking ground, and now I get to step in her footsteps, yes. and I essentially did, right? Literally, because like, so, I literally did, right? So Lashans is um uh one of she won a Tony for Once on This Island, yeah? mm-hmm. so she started Once on This Island on Broadway, and um she's a darker skinned actress, and she um set that path, and then Car- Carla, that is a role that you actually played as well, yes, yeah, yeah. Timun, yeah, um so. This idea, though, that uh, you knew that there were going to be things that you weren't going to be easily attainable or... um, And do you think that was because you are black or because you are darker skinned? I think it was... I think it was part of both. Mm -hmm. So I knew that I'm black. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean... You got the memo. I got it. Got the memo. I know that I'm black. And so I was like, okay, 
there's some things I'm gonna have to work twice right, as hard for. Right. But then like now I'm dark skinned, which makes it even less plausible that I'll be the love interest. Heck or, yeah. you know, I'll get to be the quirky friend in the front. I can be the quirky friend in the back. Yeah. But I can't be the quirky friend in the front. Because I'm, of dark skin. Because of dark I and, know what yeah. it is. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's not necessarily something that I would verbalize to someone who was not black. I no. wouldn't, you know, it's something I could talk about at home with my parents or with my yeah. other girlfriends who were black. But I could not say this in a room of producers and they yeah, because, not get all because it's in their feelings. Unconscious. It is an unconscious. It's bias. unconscious. Unconscious bias, which means they think they're choosing because the lighter skin actor is the best. But it's just the preference and what they are comfortable with. What it, yeah, what will sell on stage. And so I've, and I think it comes from just how I, how I observed the world as a kid. Yeah. I knew the power. I knew the biases and I knew the power. And it wasn't that someone was actively putting it on me or saying, you know, too bad. You know, it wasn't no, 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 that. No, no, no. It's just what I was observing around me. It's unspoken. And I also think it's interesting because it's like, uh, it's just now, and we are, you know, we have been in this biz now for a while, that I feel like black actors in theater generally are even considered for roles that aren't for black people, right? <laughs> so like, oh, we could cast this role non-traditionally and it's a contemporary piece, and oh my goodness, this couple could be interracial. Like, I don't feel like that's really been going down, except for maybe the past, God, I don't know, like eight, ten years, maybe. <laughs> or people are consciously writing roles for a black character, but of course then that black character ends up bearing all the burdens of like the white character's nonsense, so that's fun. <laughs> Um, like that yeah. play, this that I was in that you came and saw yeah, me in. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was that dynamic. That character was written black, but you know, of course, her white best friend had to cheat on her with her white husband in right. order for her to sort of have a place in that world. Yes. Right. Right. Um, but just that, you know, especially on TV and film, like all you have to do is look. You don't. Nobody has to tell you there's a preference for lighter skin actors because that's all we have ever seen, mm -hmm. like in forever, except for now when we have someone like a Lupita Nyong'o. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's a little taste of the world of being. <laughs> that um, is a yeah. world. <laughs> but um, so leap now as we sort of pivot into talking a little bit about um, the question that you sent me. Um, yeah. Well, we'll start with the love story. How did you meet your husband? Um, we met on a cruise ship. Oh, performing? Yes. Love it. I was in, I was in the show, uh -huh. and he was in the Latin band. <laughs> and I thought that he was Cuban because... Because he was in the Latin band. <laughs> I mean, come on. That's fair. It's fair. <laughs> so then I thought, well, maybe he's Brazilian mm. or something. But he, you know what I mean? Like he was not, he, so it gave him a shot. <laughs> oh, because you were not, you had, like, if he had been white, would you maybe, or is, wait, is he white? He is white and Asian. He's white and Excuse Vietnamese. Excuse me. Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've completely assumed all of this time because he's a musician and yeah. a drummer. 
I thought that he was exactly like Brazilian or Mm-mm. he's wait what he's <laughs> white and Asian yes he is oh my god I never knew that that <laughs> yeah. is so funny and where did he grow up he grew up in Canada and here in the states and Morocco and he his his first language was French. Yes. Hence, now see, I don't think I've spoken to him much. And in fact, because of our friendship, I think again we kept it mocha moms. Right. There oh, were occasions mocha. the dads came along, but not often. And so I really only know him through you or sort of some pictures. His name is Christophe, right? Jean Christophe. Jean Christophe, um, talented musician, played in the orchestra for um, the Gloria Estefan show. What was that? Yeah, on your feet. On your feet, and I'm sure many other amazing credits, but. The point being, I've always assumed that. I did not know that. And then the French, I was like, well, yeah, because French is his first language because he's something, something, something. <laughs> not at all. Um, so he grew up in Canada. Um, so you meet there. Did you have, once you discovered, in fact, he was a white man, half, white, half Asian man, did you have any hesitancies in terms of, um, Hmm. Well, I was You're not like, going to believe this. I was just checking the time on my phone, and there is a text from Deanna. <laughs> and did. it's a group text. Oh, my God. I love that so much. That's Anyways, so nice. How perfect is that? Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, did you have any? Um, well, I mean, I was like. <laughs> 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 but, I mean, it was it was fine. It yeah. was fine. It was too late then. Too late. You know. I mean, because, like, we got to talking about what mm-hmm. our families do. And we bonded over Brazilian music, which is so lovely. And Ain't that America? <laughs> right. Black woman and a half-white, half-Asian man bond over Brazilian music. Bond over Brazilian music I in the Caribbean. That. Right? Right. Um, so it was... Nacho night. It was nacho night. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it was too late, and that's just fine. And, yeah. um, and uh, how long did you date? About... I don't know, like two and a half months. Before what? Before we got married. Are you freaking kidding me? (laughs) Oh my gosh. And then how long after that did you have your first? Um, Let's see. We got married in 2002. And Dominique was born in 2008. Oh my gosh. Uh, So six years later, Dominique comes around. Now for you, did you have any... Now there's one thing of like, Okay, I'm in an interracial, God, I can't talk, interracial marriage. Right. As am I, as you listeners know, my husband is white. Um, I had no issue there either. You know, that to me was not a barrier yeah. to entry. Oh, that's really crap. Um, um, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, but I did struggle with the fact that I wasn't going to have chocolate brown babies. Did you? It is. That is very true. That is very true. I wrote a whole damn play about it. Yeah. Yeah. That. Yes. Yes. You did. Mm -hmm. I. I did (laughs) because when Dominique was born, the first thing I said. Yeah. Was he's so light. Oh my God! I know, right? And I, you know, I had dreams of these little chocolate babies, and so when my brothers started having kids, chocolate chips. I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. Y'all can have a little chocolate baby that looks mm-hmm. like me. So not only, I mean, he does sort of look like me, I think now. Mm-hmm. But still, you know, I was like, well, well, here's, there goes that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think generally, maybe, I'm turning the page here. Um, I think generally there may be this outsider's idea about 
people who are black that there's some part of it that they want they don't want right like mm-hmm. like i've said a number of times that in all my life as long as i have dealt with race and the issues that come with it i've never actually wished i was white mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i did wish once envious of my sister who was lighter skin mm-hmm. so i certainly understood that there was some buy in if you were lighter skin mm-hmm. but i've never wanted to be anything other than black mm-hmm. and um and that comes from the experience and that comes literally from the aesthetic. And so for me, it was a real hump to get over. And I had a preview because my sister is also in an interracial marriage and her oldest and then her youngest before I had kids, both very light skinned. Yeah. Right. And so it was. Some, and of course, you embrace it and you move on. But there's still that sense of like um, that that very loss that I part of the identity that you didn't pass on or whatever. That's, you know, just is what it is. It is what it is. And then I wonder, like, sometimes when I look at him, because he's beautiful, he's a beautiful child, Mm. what is going to happen when he gets involved with another person? Mm. Is he going to... Yeah. Is he going to hook up with someone who is white? Is Mm -hmm. he going to end up with someone who is Asian? Is he going to end up with someone who is black? And what do I have to look forward to? If he does, you know, if he does decide to have children, what do I have to look forward to? Is it going to be a situation where someone's going to be like, oh, Mm -hmm. are you the nanny? Well, yeah. And you got that, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. because I did. I I don't get that. Actually, what did you get? I got a variation. I got a. Those light-skinned babies can't be yours. Oh, that's lovely. Mm-hmm. I got, mm-hmm. is she yours? <laughs> to which I said, <laughs> oh, it's clear you don't know how genetics work. Yeah, exactly. Good for you. Yeah. I just was like, um, yeah, we were in an elevator. I'm like, yeah, uh, she's mine. Uh, um, and my, I know, yeah. Oh. My go-to is anger. Anger. Rage. <laughs> Rage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's not. Not always awesome. Well, you know what? But sometimes it's necessary. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it leads us back to the message, you know, speaking of, like, sort of after we process whatever it is going to be. And the other thing is, I think, too, and I wonder if you agree, you know, I'm very aware I have biracial children. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I have children who are white and who are black. And I think back in the day, there's the whole, oh, you know, they have to identify as black. And mm-hmm. they have taught me, and I'm so grateful, that, no, you can identify as biracial. And that means that, like, you're not marrying outside of anything. Like if one of my girls were to marry a white man, it's that's like, true. That's, uh, true. that's part of who she is too, you know? Yeah, and that's true. Um, so it's just an interesting sort of like uh, thing that like, yeah, you know, and, and does that feel that in some way it dilutes things even more, but ultimately it doesn't, you know? Yeah, well, I feel like they're going to be, like everybody's going to be, I send my children to Humboldt Park for summer camp Ooh. because all of the children are the same color. Mm. They are not the same ethnicity. They are not the same cultural background. They are not. Okay. But they are all the same skin color. Which is light skin. <laughs> it's like, it's just these various, yeah. like within this very small, like caramel, mm-hmm. you know, just like this sort of bronze mm-hmm. and it's summertime. It's like right? the so, color section of a good crayon set, right? <laughs> like the right. Big, slight variations. <laughs> right, just slight variations. Mm-hmm. But they're all some shade of a light brown or light bronze Mm. and even if they aren't sharing a cultural identity with these children Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like the fact that they can look and see a kid who's at least got the same skin tones as they do 
you know. Yes. And so we and back to quickly where you grew up. Were you in a did we cover this? Were you in a predominantly black area? Uh, yeah, uh, it was the black. It is the black. Okay. So you grew up with the experience of being with around folks who looked like you. Yes. Um, so back to this idea that at the camps, um, uh, at the camps that your kids were, have been going to, uh, you have sort of did that purposefully. Yeah. Where his biracial identity was sort of the commonality, what or whatever, like uh, that would produce a sense of sameness in a way, just in terms of yeah. aesthetics. So your question then being, he's going to go from being the biracial kid to the black kid. When and how old is he now? He is eleven years old. He's eleven. So and he's going to go from being the black kid because where we oh, go to school, got it. He is the only one. He's the only kid. He's black the kid. only fly in the buttermilk. Okay. The only one. I'm sorry. There's a little girl now. Yeah. But for years, he was the only one. And where did you? Where do? Where are you? What area of Chicago are you in now? I live on the west side. You're on the west side. My children go to a private school. They do. Okay. And so what's it is an independent school. So and it is not where we live. Okay. It is not how we live. How did it come about that they went there? Because I work there. Ah, yes, that's right, because mm-hmm. you work there. So what's your commute? Um, only 20 minutes. Oh, nice. Yeah, so it's a straight shot. And is the younger, um, is, I'm forgetting your Mireille. name. Mireille. Oh, that's one of my aunt's names. Um, yeah. Uh, is, is she there yet? She's there already. Because what grade is she in now? She's in first grade. Oh, my goodness. I know. And Carla teaches music. Yeah, I teach music there. And you're full time there. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that's. Do you teach them? Yes, yeah. I taught the. I no longer teach the boy, but now I teach the girl. So to understand, he's going from being the black kid, and that leads me to wonder, sort of, what are some of the conversations that have come up around race for your family? Mm-hmm. Um, around being the black kid or he said well i mean we've talked extensively about it right we talk about race all the time because papa looks different from his papa who looks different from his mom who you know so like wait so jean christophe looks different than his father right oh yeah because so what is your he looks his father is vietnamese got it jean christophe cannot pass for asian got it got it he looks white got it so, but the kids know this, right? And they know that Papa looks different from Papi, yep. who looks different from Grandma, who looks different from my parents, yes. and that I look different from Papa. So we talk about race sure. all the time. We talk about immigration because Papa's an immigrant. So, like, we talk about all of these things. So it's not a, it's not a real thing for us. What I can't give him is the transition. Like, I can't give him the tools for this transition. And he said to me, he said, oh, will I be too black for the white people and too white for the black people? And I said, oh, Lord. <laughs> and then uh, you you messaged me on Insta. It's <laughs> like, oh, let's talk about this. <laughs> Wait, so let me, okay, I'm still trying to completely... Um, Grasp it. So again, and so with being the only black kid at this school, not in the school, just in his in his sixth grade class, he oh. is the only black boy who has grown up with these same kids from preschool. Okay. He's the only black boy. Has he generally? We don't have to get into specifics unless you want. Um, had any uh, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's not the word I'm looking for, but impactful or charged racial dynamics being discriminated against, you know, any of those? You know, there's always something that happens, right? So, I mean, I feel like I'm constantly putting out fires, but there is, there has not been a purposeful, hurtful, directed that he has told me about. Now, what? That's, yeah. And what, what, do you have a, off the top of your head, an example of a fire you've had to put out? Why, yes, I do. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I can't give a whole lot of details. But, I mean, we had an incident with another teacher who just wasn't as thoughtful Mm -hmm. or mindful, shall we say, Mm -hmm. of teaching things around slavery oh yes and just about word usage and yes. not really not doing any front loading yes. not doing any sort of follow up and not understanding how problematic it can be mm-hmm. so here's and targeting you know yeah if i have any educators who listen to this who are white who are black who are latinx anything you really need to be so uh, intentional. Intentionality. There was none. There was none, and I feel like, and I said it to anybody who listened, <laughs> that I feel like this was a learning opportunity for this yes, educator. Yes. I absolutely feel like this was a learning educate and le- learning opportunity. I do not, in my heart of hearts, believe that this person is bad. No. I simply believe that this person was living all in their privilege. <laughs> And as a result, not really digging deep. I mean, because with that sort of privilege, there is an arrogance that comes, right? Because then you feel like you know everything, so you don't have to work as hard. But there's some things you do have to work hard for. And I wholeheartedly believe that anybody can teach anything. You can teach anything. You can teach anything to anybody. But what you have to do, you have to front load, and then you have to come back and you have to just circle back. <laughs> and you have to check in with the kids because you don't know who you're triggering. Yes. You don't know how and you don't know how certain kids are going to react to certain words. It, yes. But it is America, so you have to teach this information. But you still need to, you don't have to treat it with kit gloves, but you do have to be intentional. I mean, I'll, I'll say you do have to treat it with kid gloves. Right? And I'll also say, also too, that you have to talk to parents and involve you parents. Have to you can't blindside to... parents and have oh, your kid no. come home saying, Oh, today we, we did a fake auction. These are real oh, things, people. Yes. These are oh, real things I'm real talking thing. about. This is real thing. Let's this have a fake thing. auction where kids figure out how much they would pay for a slave. Let's take the kids on a field trip and not tell the parents that we're going to do a mock slave trade and and runaway ra- uh, underground railroad experiment. These are real things. Look it up. So seriously, the intentionality, the awareness of impact, the oh awareness God. of the emotion load you are putting on the kids of color in the classroom who are, are taking this in, mm-hmm. who have no other identity in that moment, and I am speaking from my own experience, mm-hmm. but to feel like a slave themselves because the other kids in the class turn and look behind their oh, shoulders. They look at you. It's 
horrible. It is horrible. It is horrible. It is horrible. <laughs> and I can't, I, I can't emphasize enough mm-hmm. just how damaging it is. Well, I mean, so to my kid, because we are who we are, so wow, we talk about it. Yeah, right. So now we're talking about it. Yeah. But what about the other children the in other that classroom? Kids. What about the other, like the kids who are not of color? Who just, what about those oh, exactly. children who now are like, well, I don't know how to process this. No one has come behind me to clean this up. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So now I'm walking around with this information that I don't. See, but and I love that because it's just that it's that it's the mess people make, mm-hmm. and then they don't do any. They play no role in cleaning it up. Right. And my sister and I were just talking the other day because both of us have this trigger. One of our biggest triggers and is when we get blamed for or have to clean up somebody else's mess. Oh, hallelujah. right. And hello, that could be the definition of racism. Hello, <laughs> and systemic racism, and you know, and that's the thing. It's like you have this great idea when you're brushing your teeth. And like this, I'm going to bring this to the kids tomorrow. And that's the amount of due diligence you've done. <laughs> right. Why? Yes. And that's not OK. It is not OK. <laughs> we I mean, we I have so little patience. Yeah. I have such a hard time. I have such a hard time wrapping my mind around people existing in this world, mm. in this space, in this country and not discussing race. Right. And because we talk about it all the time, you know, my kids are like, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's important because other people aren't doing it. And whether you know what or not, kid, you are going to be responsible mm-hmm. for teaching some other person. It is not the life that I want for you, but because I'm your mama, mm-hmm. this is what you're going to have to do. Right. And I think, too, I want to make sure that when I'm talking about, like, due diligence, intentionality, like, I am encouraging. The, the, the alternative is to not have a conversation about slavery and mm-hmm. its impacts and what all of it was about. And, you know, the curriculum has got to be decolonized and all of that. But that there is so it is not something to um, take lightly. Mm-hmm. It is not something uh, the depth in, in which the infrastructure for that needs to exist. It needs to be taken seriously. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so thank you for that example. Mm-hmm. Um, back to this the tools of transition, because as he goes into yeah. high school, he will now be the biracial kid. Now, why do you think he won't still be the black kid? Uh, well, because we've also talked at length about I don't get to make the choice. Papa doesn't get to make the choice. Mm-hmm. He gets to make the choice. Same thing with the girl, right? Like mm-hmm. you get you get to make the choice. Yeah. You get to label yourself. Okay. However, mm-hmm. you still have to understand, realize the skin you are in and how it presents to the world. Yes. So however you choose to identify, and it is your choice. Yes. You still have to be prepared for how the world might see you. So, at this grade school, also, um, it goes to, to eighth grade? Eighth grade, yeah. Has he literally um, chosen to identify as biracial? Is that... Mm, I think it goes... I mean, he, he there is no... It's not a question. Like, everybody knows us. He's, well, right. <laughs> everybody Got knows it. who we are. So that's one component. Yeah, and that's it, one Actually, component. I think it... And I was going to kind of address it earlier. I think there's a... It has a, a larger piece of this... 
overall is that you have been in school with him mm-hmm. all of this time. So they know that he's Miss Lara, Mrs. Lara, is that what you go by? Beard Lara. Beard Lara's son. Yeah. They know that you are a dark-skinned black woman. They know that he is not white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, and most likely then know that he's biracial. Um, so I think part of maybe this transition you're talking about is is how he's going to be on his own. How is he going to be on his own? Because Papa comes up to school a lot, too. Mm-hmm. And even when Papa was out of town on tour, yeah, I mean, like, there were call-ins and pictures and so so it's not like they have not seen him too yeah, right because so, it's the same kids he's been with the majority of the same kids since preschool so they know who we are and right? like yeah. we know you know how it is so right? now like, when he goes so you so when he goes to high school uh will he be with less kids than he like that he's always known i mean i know it's always going to be bigger and so there's going to be less contact with that immediate group yeah um but it'll be like a lot of kids he's not encountered before. Right. And what's that demographic going to be? Do you know? We haven't. We are working on that now because we have the whole Chicago Public Schools. Chicago Public School thing. Drama. The drama. I and live in a is... suburb of Chicago, and I am so grateful because I would oh. just burst into tears if Count I had to do that. Count your blessings. <laughs> Count your blessings. There's the, it's not the lottery system. That's New York. But in this case, what is it that well, Chicago I think, does? I think there's a component of lottery. Okay, yeah. There's the selective enrollment. There's the magnet. Then there's neighborhood. So, I mean, there's testing that still has to happen. So there's okay, testing yeah. and tears. So you don't know where he's going to end up yet. I don't know where he's going to end up, but we, my husband and I, have said that if a private school comes to us with a huge, beautiful package, oh, yeah. then we will consider that. But one of the things that we have to take into account is he needs to be around diversity. Absolutely. And I don't want him to always be in a situation where there's meetings around why we got to do this no, curriculum. You no, know what I mean? No, 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 no. It's so crucial. It has I truly think, and of course, the legacy of my parents, I love them so much. They made a mistake taking mm. us as immigrants to raise us in an all-white suburb. It was a mistake. Mm-hmm. It is a mistake to ask your children of color to be in all-white settings in their formative years. Mm. And so if you are in a situation where you can create otherwise, you must because it has damaging effects. Oh, it absolutely does. That I still grapple with. It absolutely does. Well, and I think about even though I feel like I was very fortunate just in this little time frame of this little suburb that I grew up in. And other people that I went to school with have said, yeah, it's sort of the golden age. But mm. there's still things that I'm like, oh, I don't know if I could relate to this person. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my kid to have to do that because he doesn't have this natural thing to fall yeah. back on, right? So, But he has it experience, experientially, right? He's yeah. grown up in a multicultural household. He yeah. identifies with his black mother. That's really interesting. So there's a component of, like, you're not going to be there anymore as that sort of, like, either touchstone or the access that you had being a teacher within the school, yeah. people knowing that he was biracial. So there's that component, and there's the component that regardless of how he looks or presents, he comes from a marginalized um, understanding of the world, which in my eyes is actually a gift, mm. right? Not not marginalized in esteem, but understanding that, you know, uh, 
not sort of moving through the world with that sense of privilege. Oh, yeah. No. Um, you know, and so that mix right there, this sort of is we're uncovering sort of the challenges he's going to perhaps encounter. But it's interesting, too, because you already know as the parent um, that you won't put him in a situation where he is the only no, we're done with this. You're we're, done with We're that. done with this. And that's really powerful. It well, And I feel like he also needs to know what it feels like to be, if only for a little while, to not have to battle for your place and not have to, when another, if another black kid walks into the room, to not feel that need of, like, I got to identify with that kid. Mm -hmm. Because you don't, yeah. right? When you're in a situation where you have a lot of diversity, then you can choose. Because yes. he's weird, right? So I want him to be with other weirdos. Well, other weirdos. And, and, and not, I want there to be yeah. more than four other black kids that he could be weird with or biracial kids that he could be weird with. Mm -hmm. But I want him to have that freedom to make choices and not just feel like he has to identify and, and, because. And what's cool that you've set up is that awareness that because he is in the all-white school now, you have him in the camp experience, which enables him to have that. So mm -hmm. that duality, like, so that's the thing, like, parents out there, if you sort of heeded my warning, if you have, if you're creating, all you need is to create opportunities for your children to not be other, right? Yeah. So that if can't happen during school hours, where else is it happening? Is it happening in your community? It wasn't mm -hmm. happening in mine. Was it mm -hmm. happening? Is it happening in your church? It wasn't happening in mine, right? And so I, I was in a, a virtual whiteout, right? Oh, goodness yes, sakes. Yes, yes. And so, again, there's hope, you know, like if you have circumstances where your, your child needs to be in a school where he may be the only child, there are challenges there. I won't pretend there aren't. But then what opportunities around that are you creating and you know this is a plea also a lot to a lot of adoptive parents right oh, who are yeah. adopting outside their own race that awareness um, yeah. taking it seriously um, because it has to do with their ultimate identity and how they're gonna move forth in yeah. the world well yeah I we go to you know, the church that we go to yeah. and where he takes piano and he's you know he said why we go to this church and I said straight up yeah. Because mm -hmm. it is the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Mm -hmm. It is a church founded by black people, mm -hmm. for black people, built out of, you know, the racism Amen. that they were experiencing. Preach. And I want you to embrace that legacy and, and I, know yeah. that there is power yes. in this, you know. Yes. And I just love that, like, you know. It'll be so appreciated. Like, even if he, you know, wow, well, why are we doing this now? It's like, or not, but it still will have its impact. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I hope so. I feel like, yeah, he's, I just, it's one of the other teachers was saying to me, because I was like, um, what am I going to do when mm -hmm. I can't see? She was mm -hmm. like, you have to grieve, mm -hmm. like, parents who send their kids to preschool mm -hmm. grieve. Mm -hmm. She was like, but... Oh, right, because it's like the first time. Because he went there since preschool. Since preschool. Oh, yeah, that's such a big part of this. I have seen him every day. Every single day. Since preschool. Not that I'm teaching him all the time, but I know where he is. Mm -hmm. I know who I know, you know, like I know who he's talking to. Mm -hmm. I'm not influencing, but I can still like. Mm. See, but that's so. So in listening to all of this, um, I can reflect back to you. that He's going to be all right. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you that I think it's a it's your process, possibly more than it is his. Oh, I am absolutely <laughs> positive. I am absolutely positive. So that, that you're it is. so 
perhaps giving yourself a little bit of a break because I don't think that there's tools that you need to make sure he has. He already has them. Oh. And he's got the base. And I don't, I feel like wherever he ends up, it will be what it'll be, but it won't necessarily be any more heightened because he had the experience of being the only, in fact, it may be easier, right? It may be like to transition from the biracial kid to the black kid, which I'm not even sure if that's a really a transition that will necessarily happen. It might you know what not. I mean? Yeah, it um, might not. It might just be like... Ooh. He's just going to be who he's going to be. I do think that there's hope with this. That, I mean, certainly our kids at Generation, just in terms of their propensity towards inclusion. Yeah. The makeup of, um, you know, we saw my daughter sing in her choir show for Christmas, and it was just beautifully diverse. And I was like, well... God damn, you know, because I never had anything like that growing up. And Aww. just having watching her stand there and there were black kids and biracial kids and uh, Latinx kids and Asian kids. I was like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's it. Like, it's just the opening the window, the door for it. And so in that sense, that likely where he may end up it being a Chicago public school that there'll be more of that opportunity towards diversity. Yeah, I really hope so. I I really hope predict so. so. But know. also, like, I don't. I just feel so much that it's like you you are doing it. You know. Oh God. And so. I mean, but I mean, when you're in the right, it doesn't feel like. It never feels like it, right? Mm-hmm, like, because mm-hmm. all I can see with anything, right? Like when you teach a kid how to ride a bike mm-hmm, or tie their shoes, mm-hmm. all you see is, well, I messed this up. I should have done this. I should have said this. Yep. Oh boy, if I could do it over, right? And so I'm seeing this too, but through a lens of like the world, of the world coming right? to get him, which is what it feels like. <laughs> the world, right? Yeah. Right. You know, world coming to get him. Other thing I was going to say is, also he's 11, mm-hmm. and it's really interesting. I mean, it. it I've just noticed, like, now that my oldest is 12, which is, uh, you wouldn't imagine the leap between 11 and 12, right? Oh, God. Watching her advocate, watching her uh, leaning towards inclusion, defending for inclusion. So they start to speak it in a way that that I think will also offer you great solace because you're going to start, and he's going to be bumping up against more opportunities for it, and then you start to go, oh, yeah, we did do our work. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I'll watch her, and I'm just like, oh, my God, she is good. Like, she is an advocate. She is an ally. She is an accomplice. She will give side-eye to anybody (laughs) who tells her people don't have the rights that they deserve, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you start to see the manifestation of that work, um, right around this time. So I'm interested to hear how he starts to verbalize it oh. and articulate it. It's like, it is. It's like something to look forward to. It's pretty cool. I am I am looking forward to it because right now, I mean, we've got uh, video games. Right. And he's so, a boy, which is the other thing. Just it's different for boys and heart. girls. Bless his heart. And, it, and perhaps, you know, I'm talking in sweeping generalizations, they are going to possibly be a little less forthcoming I know that from my older stepson, who I'm not sure said more than 15 words his entire <laughs> high school career to us. Um, you know what I mean? All right. So this is the part of the podcast. Um, yeah, obviously, your question's still in um, 
process, but I think we've landed on some things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would like, I think we should get back together. I agree. I totally agree. And see what. Yeah. What has grown? What has grown? Um, so I like um, one of the ways I'm ending these conversations with fabulous black women is um, sort of uh, still coming up with a cute name for it, but it's essentially like number ones, your favorites, right? Okay. And so, um, what is your favorite movie? My favorite movie? Oh yeah. My God. I know. I'm thinking maybe I need to like give people the heads up about these. It's okay. There's no time clock. Uh, oh my goodness! I love action films. Yeah. I loved, I loved Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, yes. A lot of people did. She said that sheepishly. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I love Iron Man. I am not a fan of Iron Man 2, nor Iron Man 3. Mm-hmm. But I do love Iron Man. Iron I mean, Man. I like them, but I loved the love first it. Iron Man. Love it. I loved Winter Soldier. I am re- I'm all, all about the comic book movies. Yes. I love that. See? That's all it is. Like, my sort of notion behind the favorites is just getting an insight and it's part of that thing about like black women in essence black women in action the the action of being a black woman and and what that sounds like looks like um as opposed to sort of the images of the you know oh yeah i'm the withering mother i'm either I, the the extreme between withering mother and Ob- and michelle obama right. are just women every day <laughs> living life who oh, love yeah. things like action movies and you know oh, what i mean God. favorite book favorite book like you know like that that time period of uh, like mary monroe and terry mcmillan oh yeah 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 and Pearl Klieg, like oh, all yeah. like that. Well, yeah, that bulk. Yes, and that. there is slowly but surely a new generation of folks popping up. Although I just heard that Terry McMillan, um, it's Terry McMillan, right? Mm-hmm. Has a new book coming out. Oh yeah, she has a new book coming out. Um, of course, Terry McMillan being you know waiting to exhale and the right you know, uh, but also um, there's a slow emergence of a new generation. There's one book I'm currently reading called Such a Fun Age. Okay. Um, by a young black woman who you know has been making a bunch of the lists, and um, that's exciting as well because I know what you mean because there was this sweet spot in it black literature, yeah. contemporary black literature, right? Right. Where, Where it was like just... Stella got her groove back yeah. and stuff like that. And there's been a kind of a gap, it feels like. It does feel like a gap because I feel like there was this high-quality literature. Mm-hmm. And then so then there was this rush to just put stuff out because yes. it was black people. Yeah. And then there was, like, this push about, like, you know, girl from around the way with the drug dealer dude. And the friend who got shot. And the friend and who got shot. And also those are tend to be more... Uh, YA novels, right? That adults read too. Well, n- there there is like a little chunk mm-hmm. that is geared towards grown folks. That's a terrible thing to say, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. And because Hate You Give was a YA young yes. a, young adult yeah. um, that a lot, you know, obviously a, a ton of adults got into right. as well. Um, but yeah. yeah, I know what you mean. And I feel like that's on. I sound so elitist, no. but it sound it's more like like th- that was on the higher quality end, sure. right? Yeah, and yeah, so there was a bunch of stuff that was just totally. out out there, and so weeding through mm-hmm. this because I don't want to read. I don't. I don't want. I want to read about black characters. Me too. I was just gonna say that. But ask you. I don't want to read about 
how hard it is how hard it is i don't necessarily need another historical novel because i've read all of that i know so i need new experiences about not necessarily the woman who's the ceo of the power company but just like regular black people doing things and they just happen to be black and that's the thing and that's partly of my that's a big part of my agenda with the podcast you know Mm -hmm. it's like just black people being regular being black and the joy of it and Uh, thrill of it. This other book that I was talking about, the one that I'm reading, is called Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. Okay, yeah. And it's yeah. been getting a lot of uh, press and such. It won something. Oh, it's Oprah's book. Is it Oprah's book club? No, okay. Reese's book club. Reese's Reese book. Okay. Um, my final question for you, my friend Carla. Yeah. Uh, modeled after Jean Siskel, who asked this of Oprah Winfrey, who now continues to ask it when she interviews people. Um, as well as she wrote a small book about it, and she reflects on it all the time in O Magazine. The question is, what is something that you know for sure? What do you know for sure? What do I know for sure? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> about life, about love, oh, about family. I know for sure that... My boy is kind, and my girl is powerful. (laughs) I know this. I know this for sure. And how it will manifest itself in in their lives, I don't know. But, yeah. And that is a job well done, my (laughs) friend. Truly, truly, if you were wondering earlier, that is a job well done. Carla, this was Amazing. <laughs> thank you so much. Henrique, my engineer. Thank you so much. Uh, I am on Instagram at Tanya's Take. I have not been on Facebook, but I will continue to share the episodes on Facebook. Reach out to me. An entire episode came from someone messaging me and saying, <laughs> let's talk about this. I am open to that. I am available to that uh, as long as it is explorative and it is work that we can do together. Um, happy to be back. I'm going to follow my nose towards what the next episode will be and keep you posted. Thank you for listening. Spread the word. Do I need... Oh, Carla, do you have anything you'd like to plug? Uh, no. (laughs) Oh, I do have something. I joined a new band. Oh, my God, amazing. I joined a new band called the Chicago Groove Collective. Give us one tagline. No. Um, what, a song? Yeah. Um, Amazing Grace. mm, I was going to sing. Okay, yeah. At last, my love has come along. (laughs) My lonely days are over. And life is like a song. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. That was amazing. Thank you, Lord. Bobblehead, Shelton Pop, work a lot, it's never sweet. Yeah.